Welcome to the Red Riley Podcast, produced by Piscataqua Press in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. You can find out more about the Red Riley books at redreillybooks.com. Now on with the show. Chicago Blue, A Red Riley Adventure, Book One, by Stephanie Andrews. Narrated by Christy Alsip. Copyright 2017. Production Copyright 2020. Chapter 20. The next day, I checked into the Honeywell Retirement Lodge in Wilmette, just for a visit. I'm here to read to Georgette Riley, I said, holding up a copy of Angela's Ashes that I had picked up at Market Fresh Books. I'm from the Senior Reads Program. The nurse at the desk was distracted. There seemed to be an issue with an older gentleman in cardiac arrest. She waved at a clipboard on the counter as she hurried away. Just sign in, please. I entered my name as Jane Austen and then headed down the B-wing to my mother's room. The place was clean, but a bit threadbare. The framed prints on the wall of works from the Art Institute were so sun-faded you could barely make out some of them. Once I was sure there were no police on site looking for me, I ducked into our restroom off the main hall. It had been more than eight weeks now since the bombing that started this whole mess, so it seemed unlikely that they would still be putting man hours into staking out my demented mother in hope of finding me. I knew a little bit about how they budgeted overtime, and I was pretty sure that by this time, the captain would be under pressure to scale back the hunt. I took off the black wig I had worn at reception and switched it for an auburn wig that looked, more or less, like my real hair used to look. I figured maybe today would be one of the rare days that my mother was lucid, in which case I didn't want to confuse her with my crew cut. Looking in the mirror, it was comforting yet strange to see my old self again. Did I even know this person now? And if it wasn't that Kay Riley anymore, then who was I? I shrugged and headed down the hall. That kind of introspection was going to have to wait until I had a little bit more free time. My mother sat in an easy chair watching Wheel of Fortune in her room. Her hair was not even white yet, mostly auburn with some streaks of gray, but here she was, stuck for the rest of her life, surrounded by the elderly, her life gone away and left her. Hi, Mom, I said tentatively and sat on the edge of her well-made bed. This place was modest, no doubt, but they did a pretty good job of keeping her room clean and tidy. I had no complaints, and if Mom did, well, she never said. Kay, it's you, she beamed, and relief flooded me as I smiled back at her. I hadn't realized how much my heart had needed her to be present today, if only for a little bit. I hadn't realized how desperate I was to be recognized. She looked to the door. "'Where's your father?' she asked brightly. "'Parking the car?' "'No, Mom. Dad couldn't make it today. It's just me. "'He never comes anymore, it seems.' "'She frowned as a contestant on the screen landed on bankrupt. "'I wasn't sure if she was frowning at that or at Dad. "'He's busy, Mom.' "'You have been, too,' she said, smiling at me. "'I've seen you on the nightly news.' Uh "'Uh-oh.' Oh, that, Mom. Well, I'm so proud. My daughter on the news. Some nice reporters even came and talked to me to learn more about you for their newscast. I hope you didn't tell them anything embarrassing, Mom. Oh, no. Only good things. Like that time you played Peter Pan. 
That was third grade, Mom. You were such a little darling. Thanks, Mom. A half hour later, she had dozed off while we were talking. I covered her with a blanket where she sat in the easy chair, reclining it a bit so her head wouldn't slump forward, then turned off the TV. I found a box of tissues and used them liberally. These visits always wore me out. Then I got down to business. Her bookshelves held about 300 books. Mom had always been a great reader, and it took me a few minutes to find what I was looking for. Mom's address book. Each year, someone on the Honeywell staff helped Mom send out Christmas cards, so I knew she must still have it. Most of the other memorabilia of our life as a family had come to me when Dad died and was now sitting in a box under my bed. I took the address book over to the window, where I could see better, and began thumbing through it. It was hard not to stop and think about each person as I saw their name. What were they thinking of me now? If I got caught or killed, would they forever think that I had become a criminal, like my Uncle Patrick? That I hadn't followed in my father's footsteps after all? It wasn't until near the back that I had finally found what I was looking for. The listing was under the letter S, but simply said Uncle E, and listed an address. No phone, no email. I copied the address into my phone and put the book back in its place on the shelf. I switched out the red wig for the black one, picked up my book, and then leaned down and kissed my mother on the forehead. Bye, Mom, I said softly. I'm going to fix this, I promise. I sat in the parking lot in Ruby's borrowed car, searching through my satchel until I found what I was looking for, Aldo Francis's business card. I had been thinking a lot about my conversation with Marty and how much I was relying on him and Ruby, because I knew I could trust them. But now, as I began to look for Uncle Elgort, it occurred to me that there were several people on my side, and that maybe I didn't have to do everything by myself. Mr. Francis, I said when he answered the phone. It's Kay Riley. I have a question for you. Are you a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan? Chapter 21 Uncle Elgort was probably somebody's uncle, but he wasn't mine. But that's what people in my dad's neighborhood had always called him. If Uncle Elgort asked you for a favor, you did him that favor. It was an unspoken understanding. Dad had bristled against this, knowing instinctively what those kind of connections led to. And so he made a point of moving out of the neighborhood soon after marrying Mom. His brothers, Patrick and Nicholas, however, did not. Patrick, as I may have mentioned, went on to be a fairly hopeless car thief and is still in jail to this day. I didn't mention that Nicholas, who became a very successful businessman, was close friends with Uncle Elgort's son, Eldon. They attended Northwestern together and had extensive business partnerships in the two decades afterwards until they were killed in a fire at their offices one horrible Easter Sunday. Dad didn't take to Eldon because of his father, and this had led to a frosty relationship between Uncle Nicholas and Dad. In fact, I only saw him at family holidays when I was a kid and only met Eldon once or twice. I had never met Elgort. Not long after his son died, he retired from all his business holdings, He hadn't been a person of interest to the Chicago police for years. It's unlikely they even knew where to find him these days. He would be a very old man at this point. But Mom knew, because she had to make sure everyone got a Christmas card, come hell or high water. The furniture shop was four stories tall, with three floors of showroom. 
three amazing floors of bargains, and offices on the top floor. I noticed the shatterproof glass in the front door as I entered, along with an overabundance of surveillance cameras for a furniture store. A bell rang as the door closed behind me, and I hadn't gone more than a few feet before a strikingly handsome man with graying temples and big brown eyes stepped from between two wardrobes and greeted me warmly. "'Good afternoon, madam. Is there anything I can help you with?' "'Oh, not just at the moment,' I said in a soft voice, pushing my glasses up on my nose. I was wearing a mousy brown wig with a pale yellow sweater over a white blouse— a black skirt and some conservative brown shoes rounded out my ensemble, along with a small brown purse. I would have felt safer wearing some of the excellent tactical gear I had bought using Alan Watkins' credit card, but it would have seemed a bit out of place in a furniture store, even one like this one. Well, I'm Don Shelby, one of the owners. You just find me if you need anything. He looked to be about 40, but he acted much older and he had the deep-tanned skin of someone who spent a lot of time on the golf course or on a yacht. I cased the building carefully, while stopping every so often to try out a sofa or an easy chair. On the third floor, I spotted a door marked office that wouldn't have attracted attention except for the fact that it looked very secure and had a keypad lock. Set above it was yet another video camera. This one pointed straight at anyone who would be approaching. I wandered slowly back down to the first floor until I found Don Shelby again, near the front door. He was intently studying his smartphone, and as I approached him from behind, I could see that he was scrolling slowly through stock prices. Excuse me. He jumped a bit and then turned toward me, putting on his best smile. Ah, hello. I trust you found some excellent bargains during your tour. Is there something specific I can help you with? Actually, I said... No, though it is all very lovely. Thank you. I was just, I was wondering, if you are one of the owners, I wonder if maybe you are related to an old friend of my parents from ages ago. His smile hardened just slightly. Perhaps, he answered in the same smooth tone. Who is it you were looking for? Uncle Elgort? His smile faltered for a moment, and he looked at me more closely, assessing looking for any detail that would identify me as a threat. Hmm, he said, recovering himself as he walked over to a multi-line phone that hung on the wall above an old roll-top desk. I haven't heard anyone use that name in a very long time. He picked up the phone receiver and punched a button. Margaret? Yes, just checking. Are we all clear on the sales floor? Yes? Okay, thanks. Go ahead with a one-five, then, would you? Shelby hung up and turned to me with a much more serious look on his face. The smile was gone. At the same time, I heard a loud click come from the front door. Shelby started across the floor toward me, and I started for the door, knowing already that it was locked, and it was. I turned back to him with a bright, innocent smile on my face, but that clearly wasn't going to work because he was already pointing a revolver at me. It looked like an old Smith & Wesson. I had been prepared for this, but it was still scary as hell. He gripped my arm above the elbow and dragged me around the corner and out of sight of the storefront windows. Before I could twist around or find any position from which I could conceivably disarm him, he pushed me roughly forward onto a bed. It had a lovely walnut headboard, but that wasn't my top priority right now. I started to roll over. Stay, he warned, with a knee in my back. I stayed, though it was infuriating not to be able to see him. 
I started to raise my head, but he pushed it back down. He ran his hand down my back and under my arms, and then up my skirt. Whoa, fella, I quipped. Be quiet, he suggested, removing his hand. I started to raise my head again, and he grabbed it again, so roughly that my wig came off, revealing my red buzz cut. Shelby grunted in surprise. I heard him step back. Then I heard the contents of my handbag spill onto the floor. He grunted again. Who is this person who claims to be a friend of Uncle Elgort? Georgette Riley, my mother. Georgette Riley. He sat down on the edge of the bed. We'll see, he said, as he roughly pulled my hands behind my back and cuffed me with my own police handcuffs, which had spilled out of my bag. He strode around the corner, back to where the phone was, and I heard him talking in low tones. I suppose I could have made a run for it, but I really wanted to talk to Uncle Elgort, so I just lay there and wallowed in the special self-pity that comes with being restrained with your own handcuffs. Shelby came back into the room and gathered my things from the floor, putting them back in my handbag. Get up, he said. Well, I tried, but I had no leverage on the soft bed and ended up rolling off it onto the floor. I popped right back up, however, intent on looking like a competent professional. He picked the wig up off the bed and stuffed it in the purse as well. Follow me. Can you uncuff me, please? No, I can't. Okie dokie, then. We headed upstairs through a forest of lamps and dressers and then up another flight until we stood in the front of the door I had noticed earlier. Don shielded the keypad with his hand while I gave my best smile to the camera. The door clicked open and we entered a dark hallway that led to a flight of stairs. At the top of the stairs was another door with another keypad, and then we were in what looked like the waiting room of a very upscale lawyer's office. Antique furniture, deep carpet, an unoccupied reception desk. We went through a big oak door on the far side of the room. Surprisingly, this led to a large, airy loft that took up the rest of the fourth floor. I had expected a smoky office of some kind. Instead, there were work tables, cubicles, a photographic studio, and racks of clothing. As we crossed the room, an old man came out from behind one of the dividers. He wore a full three-piece suit, which was crazy because who did that nowadays? He had an expensive-looking watch and nicely shined leather shoes. His head was bald on top with a fringe of neat gray around the sides and back, and he had a little gray mustache. I'd guess he was about 80 based on the wrinkles and sagging skin. But he carried himself well, and his brown eyes were large and bright. They widened when they saw me, scanning the incongruous contrast of my punk hair and my Susie Q housewife outfit. You're Kay Riley, he asked, in a soft, ironic voice that suggested he already knew all about me. I straightened up. I am. How is your father these days? He's dead. Has been for twelve years. You sent flowers. And your Uncle Patrick? Do you visit him often? He's in Florida. He raised his eyebrows. Yes, I said. A transfer for work. I don't see him very often at all. What kind of work? The old man inquired. Corrections. I deadpanned. Does he enjoy that? Mostly, but he doesn't get out much. His eyes twinkled, but I was losing my patience with his little tests. I had another uncle, I pressed, whom I believe was partners with your son. A pained look crossed his face. Yes, he replied, in a much more dour tone. That is why you have been permitted to meet with me. That, 
And here he smiled again. And the fact that your mother sends me a Christmas card every year. I'm afraid she hasn't been well for some time. Now it was my turn to be dour. I know, I know. But a lovely woman. Obviously your father never saw eye to eye with the boys, but your mother was always so kind and believed so strongly in family. I need some help, I blurted out. I know. Come. He indicated a dining table surrounded by comfortable-looking chairs. He opened my purse, which Don had left on the table, and rooted around it until he found my handcuff keys. He moved slowly back around the table toward me, and I turned away so that he could undo the cuffs. Well, that was progress, at least. He sat down heavily at the table and motioned me to do the same. Elton will bring us some refreshment, and you will tell me your whole story, though I'm not sure what I can do. I do not have the same influence in the city that I had as a younger man. An hour later, he knew everything that I knew. I'm sure he knew a lot more, but he wasn't the type of person who shared information easily. After bringing us lemonade, Don, or Eldon, named for his uncle, I guessed, sat down and joined us, occasionally scratching a note on a legal pad. Well, my dear, that is indeed a pickle, Elgort said kindly. I see why you thought I might be able to help, and perhaps I can. Our family has long since ceased involvement with most of the criminal element in Chicago. We concern ourselves mostly these days with financial institutions, which is just a better class of criminal, to be honest, but quieter, safer, and furniture, of course. He smiled, indicating the room around him. However, for the right people and the right price... There are certain artistic endeavors that we specialize in. I shifted uncomfortably in my seat. Payment is going to be a problem. Don snorted, like he had expected as much, but Uncle Elgort just took a sip of lemonade and then gently set the glass onto the table. I don't want you to worry about that, dear, he said. I knew what was coming. The old, sometime in the future I will need a favor from you line. I was prepared for it, but I didn't like it. This was exactly how people got pulled into organized crime— an offer you can't refuse, as they say. Still, I needed what I needed, and my situation wasn't getting any better. I believe there's an old Czech saying that goes, when you find yourself in a hole, first stop digging. That's easily said, but right now, it seemed that digging was the only way out. But Uncle Elgort surprised me. I owe your uncle many debts, he said. And your mother, too, for that matter. Neither of whom I can repay, so you, Miss Riley will be the lucky recipient of their due, just this once. Thank you, Uncle Algort. He turned to Don. Get Nicky, would you? Don got up at once and headed toward the back of the loft, disappearing behind some large wooden crates. I smiled nervously and sipped my lemonade, not sure what kind of small talk would be appropriate. Quite a little mess you've gotten yourself into, Uncle Algort chuckled. Wrong place, wrong time, I guess. Opportunity appears in strange guises. He leaned forward and raised his glass again. Or, to put it in more prosaic terms, when life gives you lemons, and he took a drink. I was saved having to respond to this truism by the appearance of a man from around the crates where Don had disappeared. I did a double take. It was as if Don had stepped into a time machine and gone backward ten years this younger version was thinner, with no gray in his hair, and was a lot paler. Same handsome face, though. 
sharp-nosed with dark eyebrows over large brown eyes, with lots of wavy dark hair and black-framed glasses that made him look far more bookish than Don. Ah, said Elgord. There you are. This is my other nephew, Nick. This is Miss Kay Riley. It is still Miss, is it not? I nodded, then also nodded at Nick. He was a very good-looking guy, but he also looked like he didn't get out in the sun or the fresh air much. He wore tan chinos and a denim shirt that had flecks of paint all over it. His hands, which were long-fingered and very attractive. What? I like hands. Also had traces of paint on them. For some reason, he was barefoot. Miss Riley needs a full set, Nikki, and she needs it right away. Judging from the TV news, I'd say you're right about that. His voice was softer and warmer than his brother's, for they were clearly brothers, but still had a crisp efficiency to it, as if he would perhaps rather be doing something else. Yes, indeed, agreed Uncle Algord. Can you take care of it now? Of course, Uncle. Very good. Elgort put both palms on the table and pushed himself up to a standing position. He turned to me. I'm sorry it's been so long, and we don't really know each other, my dear, but your father... Yes, my father, I can imagine. Anyway, strange bedfellows, as they say. I am happy to meet you now and hear about your great adventure, but I must attend to some business. You are in good hands with Nicholas. Thank you, sir. And with that, he ambled across the room to a freight elevator, Don at his side, and a moment later, descended out of sight. After Uncle Elgort was gone, Nicholas looked me over from head to foot. I smiled my best smile. He sighed. You can't have that hair, he said, waving vaguely in my red head. But it's the only hair I've got, I said coyly, then stopped myself. No, wait, I've got some in here. I grabbed my bag and pulled out the matted wig I had worn earlier. It looked like a chinchilla that someone had run through a blender. That won't do, Nick said. Come with me. I followed him across the room to where a large white screen was set up, along with cameras and lights. To the right were racks of clothing and several dressers. On the top of the dressers, styrofoam heads wore a selection of wigs. Nick looked again at me, studying my face, and then reached for a wig made of long, jet-black hair. Try this. I did. It looked amazing. The hair was long and wavy and full of luster, clearly of better quality than the party store wigs I had been wearing. Nick stepped closer to me and adjusted the wig on my head, smoothing it down around the temples and behind the ears. He was about six feet tall, and standing this close, I found myself examining the paint stains on his shirt— there were at least a dozen different colors. Are you building something colorful? I asked. He looked down and followed my sight line. I paint pictures, he said nonchalantly. Though I often am called on to paint or draw other things. I looked up at him, and he licked his finger and used it to smooth down the hairline of the wig. I wasn't sure if that was erotic or disgusting. I guess things like that depend on who is doing them. I'm not a messy painter, he added, stepping back from me. This is just my favorite work shirt. I've had it for years. He turned me toward the mirror, and I gasped. It's amazing. It's important to match the skin tone, he said. We can't go with your normal color, because then you'll look too much like yourself, which, of course, is normally what you would want, 
because now you're going to have to wear this wig every time you have to use this ID. That's going to be a pain. Well, I'll make you another set if you live through the end of July. One that looks just like you, but with a different name. He had been kidding, I think, but the brutality of his statement caught me off guard, and I felt fear and pain welling in my chest. I was so distracted that I thought I heard him tell me to take off my shirt. What? I said, take off your shirt. Man, you really know how to treat a girl. We need a different outfit for the picture. Something more sophisticated. Now I'm unsophisticated, too. Great. At least I'll be dead soon. I started pulling hard at the buttons of my sweater, fighting to keep angry so I wouldn't start crying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He put both hands up in surrender. You're right. That was a terrible thing to say. He dropped his hands and turned toward a rack of clothes. I was annoyed at getting called away from my regular work. He pulled out a light gray silk shirt that looked like it would be fantastic under a business suit. And I guess I'm used to dealing with slightly more hardened criminals. I forgot your situation. I'm hard enough, I sneered, and I pulled my blouse off my shoulders and threw it to the ground. I'd learned my lesson on Belinda Blaylock's fence and was wearing much more impressive underwear today. The bra was still white, but it had some lace to it and pushed me up in the right places. I wouldn't want to do calisthenics in it, but it looked great, and it was just right for showing some jerk how tough you were, unembarrassed to be stripping down in front of a stranger. Hardened. This guy looked like he hadn't even gone outside in a decade. Don't give me hardened. Nicholas turned away, reddening. The skirt's fine, he said. It's not going to show. I pulled the shirt roughly from his outstretched hand and put it on. It fit beautifully, and the string of pearls he handed me looked elegant yet businesslike against my neck. He walked to a dresser and opened the top drawer, gesturing me toward him. He pulled out a makeup set and began applying foundation to my face. Was I too shiny? He read my thoughts. This is to cover your freckles and darken your complexion a bit. He pulled out a very light brown pencil and started to draw small lines from the corners of my eyes. I'm also aging you up about a decade. This is very effective, but it needs to be simple. If I give you the makeup, do you think you can replicate it? Yeah, I think I'm simple enough to handle it. Now I was just being a jerk, but I hold a grudge. Why are you making me look older? Age is one of the factors that sticks in an eyewitness's mind. People unconsciously categorize and sort. We want you to be in a different category, so their mind doesn't make the connection between the new you and the old you. If they are looking for someone who is 25, they will gloss right past someone who is 40. I'm 33. Really? I would have said for sure you were mid-20s. Grudge? Officially gone. He ushered me over to the white screen and took some basic mugshot DMV-type photos. Then he brought me over a red sweater and white t-shirt. Change into these, he said, as he proceeded to roll up the white screen, revealing a bright green one underneath. This time, I turned away from him as I changed. I pulled the t-shirt carefully over my head, mindful of the wig and makeup, and put the sweater on. Nick came up behind me and drew my fake hair into a ponytail, holding it with a clip. He handed me a pair of glasses to put on and had me stand in front of the green screen in several poses. Then I took off the sweater and we repeated the process. Okay, Nick said standing up from the camera and stretching his back. Let's just get your fingerprints and we'll be done. Fingerprints? For your police record. I don't have a police record. Sure you do, he smiled. Georgette Wrigley, arrested for refusing to cooperate with a police officer during the Woman's March. It's my favorite little touch. 
People who make up new identities never think to add things like arrests. I usually do a drunk driving charge or shoplifting. But since you are a virtuous civil rights attorney, the march seems like a great fit. But I'm a police officer. My prints are already on file. He smiled at me like I was a babe in the woods. I think my brother Eldon has already taken care of that. I raised my eyebrows. He better be an outstanding hacker if he is going to get into the police department. That's not necessary. Sometimes it's just a matter of knowing the right people if you want something to be accidentally deleted. And the Shelby family knows the right people? Still. I stepped behind the rack of clothes and removed the costume items, hanging them back on the rack and putting my own clothes back on. Georgette Wrigley? Sure. You want your alias to be easy to remember so that you aren't stumbling over it. You're not a White Sox fan, are you? I stepped out from behind the rack and smiled at him. Nope. Cubbies all the way. Then we're good.